morning. It's good to see all of you here. My name is Wayne Park. I'm the lead pastor of this congregation, and I like to consider myself not just the lead pastor, but specifically a pastor of encouragement. It's my privilege to share a word, hopefully a pat on the back, hopefully a comforting presence Sunday after Sunday, regularly in your lives. I pray that you'd hear a word that would uplift you, that would strengthen you and empower you for the week ahead. And to that end, we've been talking about work in a series called Sanctify Monday to Friday. This series is for the season of fall for this year and talking about spirituality on the one hand and on the other hand, work. Spirituality and work. Nothing could be more relevant and nothing could be almost um, not relevant. Spirituality and work are like oil and water. Why should we mix them together? Why can't we just keep spirituality to the private spaces like this on Sunday where we do personal, private acts of devotion and worship? Why should our faith inform our lives Monday to Friday? But actually, that's exactly it. As we grow as Christians and as we mature more and more, we begin to see that my faith should not just stay confined to the box of Sunday and to sacred spaces and private devotions. In fact, the more I mature, I recognize my faith needs to inform all of my life, my family life, um, my social life, and also my career. The question is how. How does my faith inform my career? And I hope that through this series, we're giving some um, good insights, some good foundations for how my faith can inform my work. Hopefully this series will give you the tools that you need to see your work from a more holistic theological perspective. But I also hope that this series will be a seminal moment for our church. It will be a benchmark as we are even, you know, last Sunday we had the annual meeting, we heard from the discernment committee. As we talk about our vision as a church, I really hope that we would be a church that does not just uh, concern ourselves with Sunday, that doesn't just concern ourselves with the private sphere of life, but really as a church, not just privately, but also corporately, that we are touching all of life Monday to Friday. That's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night, that makes me excited when I think about us as a church and how we are somehow inspiring people in the energy industry or that somehow we are steering or influencing the course of our city and that we're making wrong right, that we're restoring all of creation. After all, that is, I believe, the purpose that God puts us in the garden. And so this vision... For us as a church and for you personally, it's not my vision, it's not my brainchild, and it's not coming from my mind. It comes from Scripture. It really, really does. In particular, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Somebody asked me recently, what is your life verse? And I said, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. And I was, hap <laughs> I was preparing this passage that week, so maybe that was the only thing I could think of. But it really is a life verse for me. This whole idea when God calls Abraham to leave home and to go to a new place, uh, sometimes that's physical, it's not always physical, and then God says, I'm going to show you something there and I'm going to bless you, but not so that you can hoard blessings, but that you can be a blessing. 
And that's the passage that we're going to read today. If we can look together at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It's on the screen, I believe. And if we could read this together out loud. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Towards the end there you see the mission and the purpose for which God blesses Abraham. This is a very apt passage for us uh, talking about work. In fact, this is in the Reframe Course, Episode 4. Episode 4. This Jewish story um, is the beginning of our story, I believe. I have some Jewish friends, and um, I can kind of ask them questions about Judaism, and sometimes we make jokes, and we talk about different things, and um, and I really enjoy their company as they enjoy mine. This is their story. This is the Jewish story. What does this have to do with us? Last time I checked, I don't think there's a single Jewish heritage person in this congregation. I'm assuming. I could be wrong. What does the Jewish story, this Abrahamic covenant, this story of Abraham have to do with us Christians? I believe it has everything to do in the world with us. I believe this is not only our history. I believe we are adopted into this heritage In some ways, I don't think it's an exaggeration for me to say that you and I, if you are a Christian, if you call yourself by the name of Christ this morning, you are an adoptee. You are a Jewish adoptee. You are grafted into the root that is the Jewish culture and story. And so, this is our story, the story of Abraham. And we see God hatching a plot just in this beginning, doing something with the first Jews. And I'm going to talk along three headings this morning that you'll find in your notes inside your bulletin. Three things I'm going to talk about is the first thing. The first thing is seed. What God needs to do in order to hatch his plot, the good that God wants to do in the world, he needs to select a people. And so that first heading is seed. Once he selects his people... He needs a place to put them. Where is he going to put them? And that second heading that we'll talk about today is land. And finally, these people are going to be very, very imperfect. They're going to need empowerment. They're going to need a means of empowerment. And that third heading we'll talk about this morning is blessing. Blessing. So God selects a seed. Secondly, he gives them a land, a place to put them. And third, the means of empowerment is blessing blessing. And so we begin with that first heading, seed, the seed. And by seed, I mean the genetic material that will begin from Abraham and Sarah. Look at verse 2. God says, I will make you a great nation. And just like Professor Phil Long, who was my Old Testament professor, said in the video this morning, God keeps his promises. He keeps his covenant to families, to people, to individuals. He keeps his covenant. God's covenant here is, I will make you a great nation. I'm going to create a great nation out of you, Abraham. And once again, what we're talking about here is genetic material. 
um, I, I don't need to kind of spell it out, but when we talk about seed, we're talking about Abraham and Sarah's genetic material. And this is such an important theme in the Old Testament. I don't know how many of you, have you ever read the entire Old Testament in its entirety? If you have nod or blank or cough really loud. But you've read the entire Old Testament, but have you ever seen that phrase, genetic material? Or even the word seed. The word seed has come up. The point being, the more you read the Old Testament, I believe even the New Testament, you begin to get a sense that this, one of the big themes of the Bible is this notion of seed, racial identity. It's not explicitly spelt out, but the more you read it, you'll see it stand out. Um, I'm teaching here. This is actually Old Testament 101. This is what I learned. I was like, I didn't know that. Seed, genetic identity, it's such a big deal. Um, here's a good example. I recently watched the movie Fiddler on the Roof. Do you guys know Fiddler on the Roof? It's an old, old play from the 19, like, 70s or something. And um, when I was in elementary school, I actually was in the play, in a grade school play. And I know the chorus. I know a lot of the, the, the numbers by heart. And we're talking about all this stuff about the Old Testament, about Jewish identity. So I said, I want to watch Fiddler on the Roof. And I watched it again. And the story is about a man named Tevia. Tevia is a Jewish man. He has five daughters, three of whom are getting married. And Tevia is traditional. He's a, he lives in a, in a traditional Jewish village in Russia. And his first daughter comes up to him and says, I want to marry Model the Tailor. And what does he say? If you know the, the place, is unheard of, absurd. And he, you have to go through the matchmaker. But then he looks at her eyes, right? He looks at the daughter's eyes, right? And he says, but look at her eyes. And he says, okay. And then he lets them get married. The second daughter wants to marry Perchik, the revolutionary. And they have the audacity to come up to him linked arm in arm and say, Papa, we're getting married. And we're not here to ask for your permission, just your blessing. And he goes, unheard of, absurd. And then he looks at his daughter's eyes and he says, I see she loves him. And he says, I give you my blessing. And my permission. <laughs> then finally, the third daughter comes up. And this time she comes up with a Russian. Somebody that's not Jewish. And arm in arm, they come up and she says, Papa, I'm going to marry Fietka. And he says, unheard of, absurd. And this time he does not look into, he, I don't know if he looks into her eyes, but basically he does not come around the third time. This is a line he cannot cross a Jewish person and a Russian or a Gentile should not be intermarrying. This is such an important theme in Scripture. Racial identity is such an important theme. In fact, if you read one of the minor prophets, you'll see that they took this so seriously that they instituted a mass divorce. Now, I, that's another sermon for another time. But the point being, the genetic material and the seed, and when you read Scripture, just keep that in mind, that the identity, the racial identity of a Jewish person is very important. This is important for us as we talk about work, and I'll explain to you why. You see, this might not apply to us immediately, but this is just the beginning of God's plan. He's hatching a plot starting with Jewish racial identity, culminating in the perfect Jew, which is Christ and through Christ, he would open up the floodgates, allowing all of us goyim, us Gentiles, mudbloods, muggles, half-breeds, 
allowing us, listen to this, to participate in the promise and the blessing of Abraham. This is crazy, like mind-blowing stuff, that the promise that was, in, that was meant and designed just for the Jewish race now gets opened up to all of us through the gift of Jesus Christ to humanity. God is planning something all along, and we have the benefit of thousands of years of hindsight where we can say, I get it. I see what God was, is doing. I see what God was doing. In fact, that's what the Reframe Course is about, to walk us through the thousand years of history that we have to look back and say, I see what God meant to do. God's plan begins with Abram and Sarah so that he can accomplish a great deliverance that will touch not just the Jewish people, but all the people of the earth. I, I believe with every fiber of my being that God had the multi-ethnic church in mind since the very beginning. I believe with every fiber of my being that the multi-ethnic church is the final step in this whole story that begins with Abram and Sarah. Here's the fun thing. The fun thing is Abram and Sarah at this point are 75 years old. They're not exactly prime genetic material. Again, I don't need to spell it out, but you know that once adults, human beings, pass a certain age, um, genetic uh, transference of genes actually breaks down. It's not, I mean, a 75-year-old man, a 65-year-old woman, not exactly the best candidates. That's why Sarah would laugh, and she would say, would I really have pleasure again? I think at one point even Abraham laughed. I mean, God, you're, you're going to accomplish, you're going to give us children like the stars in the sky, like the stars in the sky using us. You know what that's like saying? That's like, that's like saying, try to skip, try to skip without smiling. See if you can do it. See if you can even, see if you can, without smiling, see if you can skip. After service, try it. Do you know Isaac means laughter in Hebrew? It's impossible not to laugh. There's this encounter where Sarah, she's like, she's trying to skip without laughing. She's like, I'm going to have a baby. She's like laughing, right? And God comes up, Genesis 18. He says, you laughed. She says, no. <laughs> I, I, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. And then God says, no, but you did laugh. And I wonder, on the one hand, he sounds so deadly serious, but you wonder if there was a twinkle in his eye. And he says, no, but you did laugh. You did laugh. And here's the thing, friends. Oftentimes in our lives, when God shares his plan with you, either you're going to laugh or you're going to cry. You'll either laugh or you'll cry. But God says, I will accomplish my plan using laughable material, using the most unlikely. And so I begin, the first fill in the blank, I, I'll begin with giving you a prayer to pray this week. If you feel like God's plan for your life, I mean, really, what's God's, what is He going to accomplish through my life? Either I'm laughing or I'm crying. But here's a prayer to take with you for this week. The fill in the blank is, Thy will, thy way. Your will and your way. You thought I would give you a long, very, very wordy prayer. I gave you four words. 
you can memorize it right now. Thy will, thy way. And if you pray this for the rest of the week, you have something to feed you and to nourish your soul. God, do it your will. Have your will and do it your way. Thy will, thy way. If you're going to make a great nation numbering as the stars from this genetic material, so be it. Now this gets into the deeper question. If you're following closely with me, if we're saying, God, your will and your way, what is God's will? What is God's will for Abraham? And this is where it will connect to us. I believe God's will for Abraham, as it says in the passage, to bless all the families of the earth, to bring peace back to the earth, shalom. If you watch the reframe video, that's a word that comes up. But this is what I believe God is onto. What did it take in order for the world to fall apart and for sin to enter into the world? What did it take? Think now. A snake? A fruit? A couple? It took a couple, Adam and Eve, to bring the downfall of all of creation. Maybe they were quarreling. You can see the classic statement, she made me do it. It took a couple to bring the downfall of all of creation. It's going to take, listen carefully, a couple to bring creation back to restoration. You ask a good Jew, and they will agree with this, that God's purposes for creating the Jewish people through that couple was to restore all of creation back to Eden. God's purposes with Abraham and Sarah were to bring us back Back to, the, back to the garden, back to restoration, back to Eden. In other words, the Jewish people is our humanity's hope for heaven. God's design in this is to redeem everything in creation, including work, through one couple. And when Christ would come on the scene through the genetic material of Abraham and Sarah, He would unlock the doors and allow the floodgates of the multi-ethnic peoples to come in and accomplish God's purposes, which began with Abraham and Sarah. Does this make sense, everybody? Or have I lost you? I'll say it in brief once more. God plans to use a couple, in a sense, the opposite, the anti-Adam and Eve. Abraham and Sarah would be the ones who God would use through faithfulness and obedience. Now, Adam and Eve would fail through disobedience, Abraham and Sarah would be remembered for faithfulness and obedience through the faithfulness and obedience of Abraham and Sarah. And Paul would pick up on this much later on in the New Testament. But the point being that through one family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And ultimately, we will be brought back to a place of restoration to the garden, to heaven. I believe this is God's purposes so it has to start somewhere. It has to start with one couple. And this is the second fill in the blank. So I think today's sermon, has a, it's, it's a fine sermon. We have, I'm teaching you a prayer. I'm teaching you a piece of doctrine now. And later on, some application. So we started off with a prayer. What do we pray? Thy will, thy way. You know what you're doing. The second doctrine, or the, the second fill in the blank, the doctrine is selection. Selection is God's first step in his plan of redemption. Selection is God's first step in his plan of redemption. Now, technically, 
the doctrine is not selection, it's election. Technically, the doctrine, the fill in the blank, is election. That's the technical phrase for God's choosing of Abraham. But the problem with that word is our current political climate. I don't even want to bring up the word election. And anyway, I think selection, selection, captures the idea better. The whole point is God selects you. He selects. Even as Christians, we believe this. God selected Abraham and Sarah. God selected you and I. The beginning of our Christian identity, it doesn't start when we say, God, I choose you, as if he was just another Pokemon out of the million multitude of religions. And I decide to choose this Pokemon and worship it. Actually, that's not how it works. The doctrine of election or selection teaches us that we're not the ones that choose God. He chooses us, and we experience a tremendous sense of blessing, privilege. Friends, I don't want you, and if I could just shepherd you here, I don't want you to just understand selection rationally or up here. I want you to know it here. Do you know what it's like to be the beloved? I'm not anybody's beloved. No one loves me. I'm no one's favorite. I'm no one, I, I raised two children. I can see this already at work. No one's favorite. No one, no one cares about me. And we have a narrative of self-pity that is destructive, destructive, destructive. Selection replaces the self-destructive narrative with the narrative of love, of chosenness, of belonging, of identity. Friends, I don't want you to just know this rationally. I want you to know it existentially. Do you know what it's like to feel the pleasure of God? And God reigning upon you saying, I love you because I love you because I love you. Why? Because I love you because I love you. Because I love you. Selection. Selection, not just for Abraham, but it extends to us as well. You are Friends, be encouraged by this. You are selected by God, handpicked, chosen to be blessed so that you can bless others. We continue on. Okay, God chooses, selects Abraham and Sarah, and he says, oh, where am I going to put them? Put them in this corner over here in this dusty little corner of the Middle East. I'll put them on this land. And that leads us to our second heading, land. Land. Verse 1, God says, leave your land and go to a new land that I'm going to show you. Go to this place, I'll show you this land. Now, the first important biblical theme I've taught today is seed, genetic identity. A second important theme is land, soil, where you walk on. For Jewish people, this is why... Uh, Actually, if you, if you ever just turn on the news and hear about what happens in, in Palestine, Israel, it's hotly contested. I remember seeing this in a movie. A Jewish man and a Palestinian were talking, and they're like, why are we fighting and killing each other over just a piece of dirt? And the man says, because this dirt is my life. This is my soil. This is my country. This is my everything. Land is a very important theme in Scripture as well very important. The problem for us today is we don't have a sense of land. 
we don't have a sense of land at all. We figure I'll move to any country, I'll move to any state in the union, and as long as they have Netflix, Doritos, and some place to go run around the block a little bit, and cars, I'll be fine. I can live anywhere. I'll bring my Xbox. I'm happy. But we have very shallow sense, very shallow sense these days of this notion of depth where my feet are rooted, where I belong to this soil. This soil is mine. This is my land. This is my home. I don't know how many of you um, know this feeling. I, 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 so I, I was born and raised in New York. Already there's a disjuncture there because I'm Korean. So I'm Korean, born and raised in New York. 20 years, New York City, this is my life. And then after 20 years in New York, I get in my car, I drive across the country, and I wind up in Seattle. And I'm in Seattle for, for 11 years in Vancouver, Washington, and my life in Seattle. And then I up and move down to Houston, Texas. And here I am, six years strong and going on seven years in Houston, Texas. Seven years. I'm coming up on seven years. This is my home now. This is what happens. I dream. I dream very vivid dreams. And in some of my dreams, and regularly this happens to me, I, I, I'm relocating, I'm moving to another house. Sometimes the house is nicer, sometimes it's not. And I don't know if I'm moving from New York to Seattle or if I'm in Houston and I'm moving from Houston back to Seattle and I liked Houston and I wanted to stay and I have this sense of... And I wake up moving around and I blink and I have no idea where I'm at. Like, seriously, some people think there's, some, like, there's something wrong with that. But I'm completely disoriented. I don't know where I am for about five seconds. Am I in New York? Am I in Seattle? Am I in Houston? And then slowly it comes back to me. Some people have said, you might need to see a doctor. The point is, my experience is reflective of the postmodern experience. Uh, mobility. You can move anywhere in the Union, or for that matter, anywhere in the world. You can make a home there. You can get there in 24 hours. If you don't have peanut butter there, you can have it shipped in. <laughs> Whatever life you need, you can make it anywhere you are. But the result and the fallout and the loss is this sense of dislocation. I don't know where my roots are anymore. I don't know where my roots are. It, for some people, it's a very painful experience. Where are your roots? I'm going to give you some pastorly insight and advice now. Do you know where your roots are? Your roots are where they're growing right now. Where you stand, if you can accept it, is home. Yes, we are children of the postmodern pluralist or mobile culture. But home, and this is the third question for reflection, the fill in the blank, where am I willing to have my story written? Where am I willing to have my story written? Yesterday we were at the fall festival. My, my pastor friend David Chambers, Dave might even be listening to this on podcast, and I saw him wearing his, wearing his uh, Cubs, Cubs t-shirt. And there's some loyalties that, won't, that, that, that die really hard. I don't blame him. I... I still have my Yankees jersey. Hate. 
And there's just this sense of, of um, you know, there's that disjuncture. But the big question for reflection is, where am I willing? Where am I willing to have my story written? I mean, for crying out loud, my dad, you know, 50 years ago left South Korea and then traveled around the world. He was in Vietnam serving with the South Korean contingent, uh, you know, together with the U.S. Army. And then after that, he was in Iran studying telecommunications, wound up in New York. Here's a person in his own right that moved around the world. I end up from New York, Seattle, and now in Houston. This is, my dad ended up writing his story in New York. I'm, 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 I want to write my story right here on the soil I'm standing on. Land is an important theme, friends. And for us Christians, no less, no less. Even more so, more and more Christian theologians are bringing us back to a place of rootedness, of culture, of recognizing our soil, not just becoming consumerists and just saying, I'm going to live off the land and I'm going to move from place, but to stay put and to do well to the people that live here, to be faithful. Where am I willing to have my story written is the reflection question. We conclude with blessing. So God starts off. He chooses. He selects a seed, Abraham. He brings them to a place, a land. And then finally he says, yeah, they are going to need help. They're going to need a lot of help. And so he establishes a mean, covenant, blessing, a means of empowerment, and that is blessing. And this leads us to the third and last heading where God says, I will make you a great nation. And in order to help further that along, I will bless you. I will bless you. But here's the interesting thing. When God blesses people, naturally the overflow of that blessing blesses others. So the importance of the Jewish identity was to be the, the children of God's blessing, to be the uh, receptacle of God's blessing. But that was meant to overflow out to bless who? In Genesis 3. The families of the earth. It doesn't say be blessed so you can bless your neighbors or blessed, you can bless your Jewish family or your people. It says bless all the families in the earth. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. I close on this note last Sunday, talking about what it means to be an image bearer. Last Sunday, God, we talked about how God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We talked about how God created this temple. He created all of creation. It is very similar to the ancient language of temple building. You see this in the reframe course. It's very similar, the language is, to building a temple in ancient cultures. But as God builds the temple, what does He put in the middle of the temple? If we were Babylonians or Assyrians or Akkadians, what we would do is we would build this temple, and in the end, the last step is we would put the divine image, Zeus, Apollos, the, de the deity. God doesn't do that in the end of creation. When he finishes building all of the earth, he doesn't put himself in the center of creation, sit on a throne and say, you humans, peons, get me a drink. Like us older brothers are always doing to our younger siblings. 
get that for me. Do this for me. Actually, human beings have a very exalted position in the order of creation. God doesn't sit in the center of all of creation and say, serve me. He steps out and he puts a photocopy of himself. He puts a proxy of himself, little gods, so to speak, in the center of the temple. Do you get this? Whereas other cultures would build temples and put divine images in the center, God would build the temple of all of creation and put us in the center of the temple as his stand-ins, as his proxies, as his image bearers. What does this mean but that you and I as Christians, as people that bear the divine image, placed in the center of all of creation, we bear the responsibility to bless all of the earth. We are the ones in the center of the temples who bless others, who convey God's blessings. We are the image bearers that do good and take care of all of creation. The closing application is that blessing wasn't meant to be hoarded. We live to give, and we give in order to live. That's the last thought. And I've shared in the past how sometimes that's hard. You feel spent. At the end of the day, you're so tired, and you're ready to sit down. It's Miller time, or it's my time. It's me time. last thing I want to think about is somebody else's needs. But I find in my experience when I give, my bucket is somehow restored. We give in order to live. I'm going to talk about this a lot more next Sunday, about this thought about how, you know, you're down and out. You're needing encouragement, and we're almost like a black hole. Me, 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 me. And what we need is a, is a switch inside of our thinking that says, it's not all about me. I cannot get all my needs met by demanding it from others. My bucket is filled when I give. And sadly, throughout history, the Israelites would get stuck, just like you and I get stuck. Me, 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 me. My needs have to be met, me first. But I think the key is in understanding that just as we give, we get. And in order to keep, we have to give it away. So, live to give and give to live. Last thought. And so as I recap and just close, God chooses a people. I believe he's chosen us. He chooses. And then, he gives you a place where your story is written. And for today, that place is here in Houston. It's here in Houston. I'm not saying that you're, not gonna, you're never going to leave. or I, I, I'm not guaranteeing anything. All I'm saying is be where you are and be fully here. Be involved in the local culture. Buy cowboy boots if you have to. Make this your home. Get rooted and be willing to have your story written here for as long as you're here. And then become a blessing. Don't hoard, but give. These are the closing thoughts. Let's pray. I want to invite the worship team up. And as they play, I want to give you a few minutes to reflect. 
there were a couple of fill-in-the-blanks, a couple of things to think about. We started out with a prayer, thy will, thy way. Okay, do it your will, God, your way. But secondly, we taught a piece of doctrine, selection. Do you feel like you're chosen? It's an oxymoron to be an unloved Christian or to be an unchosen saint. Nobody's favorite, self-pity. Are you stuck with a self-pitying narrative? Then hear this doctrine of selection. But third, we talked about a reflection. I gave you a reflection. Where am I willing to have my story written today? And finally, an application, live to give. In response to any of those, I want to give you a few minutes to either reflect or to pray or to just repeat those words silently in your heart, even as a mantra. God, your will, your way. Your will, your way. Go ahead and pray now. If there's anybody here at this time that's wrestling with God's plan for your life, you're either laughing or you're crying. I just want to say that God sees you. I want to say that God has a plan. And with all the seriousness that you can conjure up while skipping, He will see it through. You will see it through. If anyone here is wrestling with a value or low a value attack, a sense of low self-worth, I want you to know that God sees you as his chosen, his select, his favorite. And I want you to hear him whisper in your heart right now. You're my you're, you're my child. You're my favorite. You're incredibly loved. I'm crazy about you. If anyone here is wrestling with your story, place, God's calling you to be content. Take your current circumstances and he's asking you at this time, will you let me write my story in your life here? Will you let me write your story here? And last, if you've been so blessed, and share it. Share it with someone today before you leave. If you've been so blessed, give it through a hug, through a gesture, a word, an encouragement. Lord, at this time, in these areas, we know that you've called us to be a blessing in our work. We know that where we work, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of question marks, there's a lot of, uh, in this down economy, there's, but Lord, 
in the midst of it all, help us to have consistency. Take away the compartmentalization where Sunday stuff is Sunday stuff and Monday to Friday. Bring it together. May all of life be our opus and an act of worship unto you. We thank you that you are the God of consistency, both present in the holy places, but also in the quote-unquote secular. In Jesus' name we pray. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.